He's above all, over all. Uh, he is yet eminent. He is near and he's present. And God is with us. And uh, my prayer is that you are experiencing God's hand, God's presence, uh, no matter where you are, no matter what the situation or circumstance, that you see God in the midst and that he is loving on you, he is keeping you, he is protecting you, providing you. And, and, and sometimes we can miss the trees because of the forest. We can miss the many blessings because we're so used to waking up and having food in our refrigerator. We're so used to waking up and, and being able to go into a closet and put on some clothes. We're, we're so used to having a car and being able to, to go where we need to back and forth. We're, we're so used to God's blessing that it's easy to take for granted every single thing that he does. But, beloved, I dare you just to pause a moment and to think where God has brought you from to where he has brought you to. With the things that he has allowed you to leave behind, those things of righteousness he has allowed you to pick up, and how he has been blessing you and keeping you, not because of yourself, but in spite of yourself, God is still faithful. So we do praise him all the time because he is good. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, I just want to pause to welcome each and every one of you to this worship service of the church gathered at Forest Baptist. And if you would, for a moment, just bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time. Most beloved, most holy, most blessed God, we do pause to acknowledge your preeminence, your presence in all things, dear God. Father, it is so easy to go through this life. I know I go each day and I, I take for granted all that you do and all that you are. But Father, today, please part your Holy Spirit that we would indeed truly be filled with a heart of gratitude. And from this heart filled with gratitude for you, Lord, we will pursue you even more. Father, please give us a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness. And right now, Lord, I pray that it would come by the preaching and teaching of your word right now. Father, please prepare us to hear your word. Please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive. Please take my weak and foolish words and to use them for your glory, that Christ would be exalted. Father, as we merely have a glimpse of the goodness of this gospel, Father, I ask that you would take these seeds, these words, and penetrate our, our hard hearts, those hearts that are only worried about today or tomorrow, and Lord, you would you would penetrate our hearts and that we would have a genuine hope for heaven. Help us to love you more. Help us to trust you more. Help us to repent to you more through the preaching of your word right now. Father, I pray that as we wage war against Satan and his minions, that you would cast down any strongholds, any yokes, any spirit of bondage that is upon us right now. Father, we know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. 
Father, we know that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Father, we may be mad at people, but we need to be mad at Satan. We need to get mad at his schemes. We need to get upset by his deception. We need to get angry and mad for the lack of righteousness that is around us, Lord. And may we do that according to your word. Father, please speak right now. May we, your servants, listen. We ask all of these things by the precious and preeminent blood of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. And as we gather today as a church, uh, gathered and scattered, we have the uh, privilege and opportunity to partake in communion together immediately following worship service. So if you are here and you have not received your uh, elements, uh, we have cups out front. You can grab one of those cups to make sure you're ready. Uh, And I also want to bring to your attention just a reminder that this year we are celebrating our 153rd church anniversary. We thank God for his faithfulness towards us. We don't deserve it. It's only because of him that we're able to celebrate that. And uh, I know we said the 11th was the last day for you to send in a nomination for our Servant Leader Award. But actually, today will be the last day that we are taking nominations for our Servant Leader Award. And uh, there are are, are so many people here at Forest who have a servant's heart. And they lead not by their words, not by being out front, but they, they genuinely lead by their service unto the body, their sacrifice of time and Uh, energy and everything. So we're grateful for those individuals. And we just ask that uh, as the Lord brings a person upon your heart that you would nominate them. And again, we we have have so many people like each year, we're just trying to recognize those people and uh, and let them know that we thank you for your service and we thank you for allowing God to use you like he does. Uh, But if, if you're not nominated, if you don't win this year, it's not because you're not serving. It's not any, any of that. We just got so many to celebrate, which is really exciting. It's a good problem to have. Uh, but again, I want to encourage you today, this is the last day to turn in those nominations for our Servant Leader Award, and you can do that by going to our website at fbcnewberg.org and selecting the nomination, the Servant Leader nominations, and you can fill that out. Amen. Well, this morning, please join me in Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter. And as we have been reflecting upon the good news of the gospel, we are reminded each week for the last few weeks that we are in constant need of the gospel. We are in constant need of the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Beloved, please never take for granted the goodness of the gospel. And how it is all-encompassing and how it takes care of every aspect of our lives. And, and, and the reason why it is such good news is because it is a, uh, a representation, a reflection of the good and wonderful God that we serve. Because this is the good news that life with God under the rule of God is available to all who would, tr- who would turn from their rebellion and trust in King Jesus. This is the good news that through faith in Jesus' perfect life, death for our sins, and victorious resurrection from the dead, we are justified 
and reconciled to God. This is the good news of God's wonderful acceptance of us, not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because he gives it to us freely at Christ's expense. The words of Scripture are, are clear, for they declare, in him we live and move and have our being. So it, it, so it is with the gospel. In the gospel we live, in the gospel we move, and in the gospel we have our being. We continue this morning in our examination of the gospel from the book of Romans. And we have been looking just to see how this triune God This God of all creation has been at work in our salvation. For we see that, uh, we see how God the Father has sent the Son, that before the foundation of the world, he had already uh, chosen for himself a people for his own pleasure, a people he would draw to himself, and he already had a plan to redeem us, so he sends forth the Son. And we see how God the Son uh, secures our salvation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It is firmly secured. He says in, in, in the Gospel of John, all that the Father who has given me, I will not lose one. When he has secured you through his blood, you, you ain't going nowhere. But then thirdly, we see how God the Holy Spirit seals the people of God for the day of Christ Jesus, that glorious day when we will see him face to face. We're like that letter a king sends to somewhere else where he, he, he opens the letter and he writes this, uh, the, uh, the directions and the instructions and he puts it in the envelope and he closes it and then he takes that wax and he, he heats it up and he pours it on the back of the envelope and then takes his seal and presses it into the envelope. And everyone who sees this seal, it doesn't matter what's inside the letter, they know that this is an important letter because the seal of the king is on it. And beloved, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people, the seal of Christ Jesus is, uh, is on us. This morning we consider just how, just how, the Holy Spirit applies this salvation to our lives, his children, through Christ Jesus. So here in Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning with the first verse, again, if you would be so kind to please stand in honor of the reading of God's word, whether you're here or at home, if you are able. Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse one, and the word of God reads, there is... Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon this morning's text in our series, Gospel Basics, Life by the Spirit. Life by the Spirit. The Spirit. One thing this pandemic has taken away from me is the fact that I really like to travel. I really like to go places and visit places, whether it's for uh, vacation, recreation, or whether it's for business. And specifically, I I really enjoy uh, flying on the airplane, getting up and going to the air uh, the airport and. Uh, getting my bags checked, and, and that, that whole process of just kind of walking and taking care of business, knowing that you got somewhere to go, I, I really enjoy that. But even though I enjoy uh, traveling and especially by playing so much, there's always a bit of anxiety in, in my heart. There's always a bit of anxiety in the back of my mind. And, and it's, it's not anxiety because of what you think it may be. I, I'm not necessarily worried about a plane crashing or anything like that. But actually, it's just more basic stuff that I have in the back of my mind. I, I'm always thinking, do I have the right time? Did I get to the airport in time to make sure I can go through security, to make sure I can sit down and, and have everything settled? Did, did, do I have the right time? When I'm booking my flights, I, I, I always check and double check and triple check because I want to make sure uh, I have the right date. So when, I, when I'm looking at my tickets, like, do I have the right date? Did I just show up for the, at the airport for nothing or did I miss my flight? As I'm going through the security, as I'm heading to uh, the area where uh, we board the planes, I'm always wondering and, and, and checking my pockets, do I have my ticket? Because I know I can't get on this flight without my ticket. I can't get through security without my ticket. And then when I'm on the plane, I'm always looking and double-checking, do I have the right seat? Is somebody in the wrong seat? Do I need to tell them to get up out of my seat? Those are the things that are in the back of my mind, and I'm never quite settled until I'm in my seat, the plane begins to taxi. And we hit the runway to take off. I'm never quite settled until I know that I'm in the right spot at the right time, headed to the right destination. 
And sometimes as Christians, we, we have a, a, the same underlying type of anxiety as we travel through this life. And our anxiety is, is not uh, because of a vacation destination. No, our, our, anxi- our anxiety is actually out of concern for our eternal destination. One of the questions that Christians often struggle with is, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that when I leave this place, that how do I know when I close my eyes for the last time on this side of glory that I will wake up and be face-to-face with Jesus Christ, my Savior? How, do, how can I be assured of those things? And I submit to you this morning, that is a good question. And it is a question that we shall all actually ask ourselves. We should not just go through life taking for granted the salvation we have. Where do I get that from? As a matter of fact, The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter in the 5th verse, he says, but examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. He is saying that it is actually a good thing to think about the time that you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus. It is good to actually think about uh, how Jesus has changed and transformed your life. It is good to think about how you was going one way and God came and rescued you and had you go this way. It is good to think about all that sin and and baggage and dirt that the Lord has taken up off of you and how, how you are walking in righteousness. It is good to think about those things because if you don't have that experience, if there's never been a moment where you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, if there's never been a moment where you were going left but you turned and started going right, if there's never been a moment where you see sin falling off of you and the righteousness of God being placed upon you, if there has never been a time as you examine your life, then you are probably not saved. But even in our examination, we have to make sure we got the first things first to make sure that we really understand what's going on. Because in our examination, a lot of times we are tempted to base our answer of am I saved or not upon what we have actually done, just our works. Scripture says you are saved by grace through faith. We have a salvation that is not works-based. We are not saved because of our works, but James reminds us that we work because we are saved. But sometimes we just take works to, to look at our lives to see what am I doing to measure if I'm saved. But, but I, would, I would actually argue that doing that it should actually be secondary to our assurance. Because primarily disciples of Jesus have confidence of salvation because of the applied work of the Holy Spirit. We have assurance not because of what we have done. We have assurance because of what God has already done. Because he has saved, because he has redeemed. So when I'm looking at my life and I'm examining my life, I I, I don't primarily think about everything that I'm doing for God, but I pause to think about everything that God has already done for me. And as the Holy Spirit applies this salvation to our lives, it is from that we receive this extraordinary assurance. This eighth chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans, 
is, is really all about assurance. And it's all about the assurance that a Christian can have because they have rested in Jesus. What I love about this chapter is, in verse 1, uh, there, there's like bookends on this chapter. And in, in the beginning of this chapter, there is no condemnation. And at the end of this chapter, verse 39, there's no separation. That, that, that's some type of assurance right there. There's no condemnation uh, for those in Christ Jesus, and those in Christ Jesus would never be separated from God. He is, he's showing us that he, it is him who has salvation, and when he applies it to our heart, we have assurance that we are saved. As the Holy Spirit applies the life of Christ to those who believe, he applies the assurance of eternal life. A big ideal or, or what we want to center our thoughts around today is the fact that the Holy Spirit applies life to every believer. It is the Holy Spirit who applies life to every believer. In this eighth chapter, again, I, I, we're not doing a complete study of pneumatology or the, uh, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're just looking at an overview uh, from Romans of the gospel, but this is an important aspect of the gospel. How, how, what, what role does the Holy Spirit play in our salvation? What are some of the things that he does? So again, this is not comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit, but we see in this text, he does bring a lot, uh, he does accomplish a lot in our lives to remind us that we are saved and to keep us saved until we see Jesus face to face and that seal is opened. One important note, one important side note I do want to bring up as we do talk about the Holy Spirit. Whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about he and not it. The third person of the Holy Spirit is he. The, the, the Holy Spirit is not this impersonal force that just comes upon people in church and they just fall out, kind of rolling around. No, no, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is, is part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we need to be mindful that uh, we are not talking about it. We're talking about him. So as he comes, he does a couple different things. And in verses 1 through 8, I believe that we see how the Holy Spirit applies liberation. He applies liberation. Because here it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the, from the law of sin and death. So, so literally, something has taken place. And he has set us free from something. The, it is... Uh, the Holy Spirit that kicks off this new era of salvation history. This is why Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation. Why is there now no condemnation? There was something before. Remember, the opposite of condemnation is justification. But, but prior to Jesus working out our salvation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, there was nothing but condemnation 
for us, but what Paul is saying, there's something new that has showed up on the scene, and, and when you were once dead and separated, you now have life. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who love Jesus. Christians have been released from the tyranny of sin through the cross of Christ. We are free from this condemnation, this state of lostness, this estrangement from God, this separation. That's what condemnation is. The Holy Spirit liberates believers from the from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and ultimately the presence of sin. When the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, he begins to do a new work. And, that, and that's why we can take assurance that we have eternal life, because when the Holy Spirit is applied to my life, something takes place. I am no longer under the bondage of the law of sin and death. Liberation comes about. We talked about this before this actual liberation comes in the imputation of Christ's righteousness by the Spirit, the, the putting on of this, uh, this righteousness that we have in Jesus that makes us holy before God and acceptable. And he's, so he's talking about that right here in verse 2 when he says the law of the Spirit of life, which is really the Holy Spirit. He's just talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he says law, he's talking about the, the power, the authority for those who are in Christ that no longer have condemnation, we have been given life under the power, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. But, but those who have not trusted in Jesus are still under the, the power and the authority of the law of sin and ultimately death. Something new takes place when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And then... Uh, what God does through Paul is that he just, he just begins to elaborate upon this, there is now therefore no condemnation. He just walks us through what's happening next. He says we are set free, we are, we are liberated when the Holy Spirit is applied to our life. We are no longer under sin and death. Well, why? Well, uh, how does this happen? And he says, for God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is he saying? God is basically saying to us, not that the law is weak, but the law was never intended to be our pathway to perfection, to righteousness, because our flesh was so weak, we could never keep the full law. All the law did was show us how much we needed Jesus. But he says, God does something about that, and he sends Jesus Christ to actually fulfill the entire law, and it is through Christ that we now uh, have this life because instead of his people being condemned, sin is actually condemned in his flesh. He, 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 he takes sin off of us, and he, and he destroys it, and he breaks it, and he crushes it, and it gives us a new lease on life. But it's not just for anyone. Why? Because he says, in order that the he says, for, for us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is a specific contrast. You can't keep living how you, 
how, uh, how you were before Christ if you're going to walk with Christ. For those who live according to the flesh, the flesh here uh, is, is, is defined as man's nature without the Holy Spirit. This is it's this worldly orientation that we all share. It's the world and, and all the characteristics of this life. Uh, the, when we think about flesh, just think about rebellion towards God. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about rebellion, our intentional and willful rebellion against God. So he's saying those who, those who uh, live in the flesh, they, they can't walk according to the Spirit. But those who, who, who have trusted Jesus, we can walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, which brings reconciliation. And why can we walk? Because... Verse 5, he's breaking it down even more. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Why, why, why can't those in the flesh walk according to God? Because their mind is set on worldly things. Because their mind is only on the here and now. Their mind is only on uh, how can they please themselves, how can they get over, how can they get further, only about themselves. This is why you, the mind set upon the flesh cannot walk according to the Spirit. Actually, here in verse 5, Jesus provides us with a clear delineation and, and marks of a believer versus an unbeliever. Because a, a person who loves Jesus and will be assured of heaven, their mind is not set on the world all the time. We're not always thinking about uh, uh, what I'm going to get out of it. I'm not always thinking about how can I get ahead, but the mind that I set up on the Spirit is how, how does God want me to interact at, on my job? How does God want me to interact in my home? And the mind that I set up on the Spirit is a mind set on how can I be pleasing to my Father who is in heaven? This is a, a daily lifestyle and conduct. Beloved, if, if, if you're waking up every single day and you're not thinking about God, you can care less about the things of God. You can care less about the word of God. You can care less about praying to God. You can care less about the people of God. If, if none of that crosses your mind, Paul is saying that your mind is set on things of the flesh. And why are their minds set on the flesh? Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I could dig into that a lot more, but, but really I, what, what I just want to say, an unbeliever can never please God. Someone who doesn't love you, you, you can never please, no matter what you try or what you do, no matter how many times you go to church, how, how many times you, you, you're nice to people? How many times you, you, uh, you donate your money to charity? If your mind is set on the flesh, you cannot please God. That is a serious fact. 
Because there are so many people running around trying to be pleasing to everyone else but God, and they think that by pleasing everybody else, they're actually being pleasing to God. But, beloved, we live for the audience of one, Christ Jesus himself. And it is the only way that we are pleasing is when we allow the Holy Spirit to apply salvation to our heart, when our mind is set on him. The Holy Spirit applies this liberation. Uh, We are set free, but then the Holy Spirit also applies a transformation. In verses 9 through 11, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you you. All Christians, hear this, all Christians at the moment of salvation receive the Holy Spirit. He says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But those who who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, he, he imparts his righteousness upon you through the Holy Spirit and you are at that moment saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to work on, you don't have to wait on a second work of grace. You don't have to wait on a second blessing. Paul is saying at that moment when you are set apart for him, he gives you his Holy Spirit because you can't count near him without the Holy Spirit. This is a a transformation from who you were to who you are now. And not only are you transformed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but there's a future transformation because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave will be the same spirit that gets you up out of the grave. Because he talks about that great resurrection that we can look forward to. The same spirit that that came and, and, and got Jesus up on the third day and he rose with all power in his hand is the same resurrection power that is indwelling in you that allows you to defeat sin, to obey Jesus, to live according to his will. That resurrection power, the resurrection of the Holy Spirit is even powerful enough to overcome the mortality of our bodies. This is truly a gift of grace because in the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to be raising his people from the dead, he is fully reversing the curse of uh, creation in the garden where we would all die. But now because those who were in Adam are now in Christ, we will be raised with our Savior just as he was raised. This is such good news. Such assurance that those who have the Holy Spirit will see Jesus. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit applies sanctification to our lives. 12 12 through 14, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know, once we are justified by faith, once we are disciples of Jesus, we enter into that process of sanctification. Justification, 
sanctification, and we will enter into glorification when we see Jesus face to face. And this sanctification, this, this, this progressive work, this is, this is uh, God working in our lives day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. He's working in our lives to conform us to the image of his son, Romans 8 and 29, to make us look more like Jesus. This is the, the process by which sin is being taken off our backs. I don't know about you, y'all, but, when I, but when, I got, when I was saved, every sin didn't just fall off. Some sin did, but, but there's still some stuff I, I struggle with then. There's still stuff I struggle with now. I don't know about you. You may be one of those folks who got saved and you ain't got no issues in life. I, I don't know, but uh, you may be dealing with the issue of lying. But, 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 but what I'm saying is that in sanctification is this process that God is working in us, stripping away sin, purifying us, because in this life, we will never be perfect, but as we walk in this life, he will perfect us more and more. It's day by day. What is he doing? An example of what is he doing is in Titus, the third chapter. Titus, the third chapter, verses 3 through 7. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Watch this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, and right here, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He's renewing you. He's renewing us day by day. Whom he poured out unto us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Beloved, when the Holy Spirit is poured upon us, a renewal process begins, and we have assurance of sanctification when we see how God is changing us day by day. And when you're out and about, and you have one of those moments, if, if this, you have one of those moments when something occurs, and you find yourself acting godly, and you think to yourself, if this was five years ago, uh, oh, I would have. If this was just a month ago, Oh, I would have, but God has been working in you in such a way that he has taken away stuff that you don't even know was in you. It, it's stuff that you, that you see and don't see, that God is working in you in the depths, in the, in the, the cracks and the crevices of our hearts. But once we are justified and enter into sanctification, God is working in us but yet there's still a part that we need to play because he says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The, the term used in theology for that put into death, the deeds of the flesh is called mortification. So within sanctification, this process that God is renewing us and making us look like Jesus, there's this active role that Christians partake in called mortification, that we are actually looking at our sin and we're waging war at our, uh, on our sin and we're saying, I'm not going to be satisfied. I see this area. Uh, my, my, my mouth is too slick. 
My eyes wander too much. I, I have an attitude problem. And, and, and we begin to look at these specific things, and we begin to war against it. That is the mortification of the flesh. You are putting to death the deeds of the body. All those areas of life that, that we just want to go buck wild, and we want to live how we want to live. Paul puts it like this in Colossians, the third chapter and the fifth verse. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, fleshly, sexual immorality, sexual intercourse before marriage, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put, a, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed in knowledge. As you understand more, as, as you go along growing in grace, you are putting to death these things. You're warring against sin. The Holy Spirit, he applies sanctification to our lives. Though it may not feel like it, beloved, Christians battle from a position of victory. But understand, where there is no battle, there is no believer. If there is no struggle, if there is no fight, if you're just wallowing in your sin and, and you're just saying, well, that's just how I am, that's just who I am, then you must Question whether you are a follower of Jesus because the Spirit will give you strength to make war. Because in the struggle itself against sin, there is evidence of salvation. But then lastly in the text, verse 15, we receive assurance simply by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies assurance to our lives. And he says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You receive your papers that says you no longer belong to this world, but you belong to King Jesus. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's two ways you can look at this. You, you, Abba Father in the sense that he's, no, he's not just the, uh, the God of the universe, this transcendent being that is preeminent, but he's actually our daddy. He's one that is near. He, he's the one that looks out for me every single day. He's the one that, that, that I know he is lavishing me with his love. See, but, but then it also has exclamation points, Abba Father. What does that mean? That means as I'm in this world, war with sin. As I'm in this battle with sin, sometimes daddy got to come get me out of some mess. Sometimes I need my daddy to fight for me. Sometimes the bullies of this world are too big. And when the bullies are too big, and it's those moments where I don't say just God in heaven. I say, daddy, come get them. Daddy, they're treating me wrong. Daddy, they're doing me wrong. Daddy, they're, they're dragging my name through the mud. Daddy, I need you to show up. Abba, Father. And it is in that groan, it is in that cry that we know we belong to him. 
Because he says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul's just using fancy words for a spirit, recognized spirit. When the Holy Spirit lives within you, you know that you belong to him because of what he has done. And then not only do we have that sense of calling him daddy, the sense of belonging to him, but we receive even more assurance because when he adopted us, he filled out our inheritance papers already. You know when you, when you fill out those insurance papers and they say, who are the benefactors? And you list the people that you're close to right now because it may change in a, in a few months or years. But the people you're close to right now, who you, who you want to receive all your money, who you want to receive all of your property, who you want to receive everything that you have collected over these years, and you begin to sign their name and put their social security number down in order that these legal documents say, when I, when I leave this place, my, 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 my inher- all that I have will be inherited by these people. Beloved, when Jesus laid on that cross uh, and, he, and they hung him high and they stretched him wide and his blood was flowing, he, he dipped the quill of his eternal pen in the blood and began to sign your name and he began to sign my name on my inheritance and my inheritance beloved are all the riches and glory in Christ Jesus every single thing it's not one thing that God said don't touch but it's everything he's given us everything beloved as we consider these truths We can apply this by asking ourselves, are you walking in freedom? Are you walking in freedom? Has the Holy Spirit applied his liberation to your heart and set you free, or are you still imprisoned by sin? Are you walking in freedom? But then secondly, are you in active rebellion against God? Are you in a place where God is trying to move you and draw you back and and you just saying I no I just want to do what I want to do but then thirdly are you truly fighting sin are you truly waging war against sin beloved the Holy Spirit he applies this liberation this transformation this sanctification and this assurance to our lives that we would have this eternal hope of eternal life. When looking for assurance as a Christian, look not unto yourselves, but primarily look to Jesus. In the sending of the helper, Jesus has given us all we need for life and godliness. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon his disciples Jesus has fulfilled his word. In the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the, uh, this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 33, where he says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Holy Spirit being poured out on us is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
all the benefits of glory. That was won by Christ on the cross. Belongs to us. Beloved, as we consider this great gospel, may we never forget the work of the Holy Spirit and how he applies this assurance to our lives. And if we're here, there, uh, there's not assurance that we belong to Jesus, then this may be the day where you trust Jesus for salvation. Where you repent of your sin and you come towards him. You no longer look to yourself, but you look to what Jesus has already accomplished on Calvary's cross. You admit that you are a sinner. You believe that Jesus did die for your sin and he has redeemed you through his resurrection. And you simply call upon him. Well, beloved, you may be here today and uh, you, have, you have been trying to walk out this salvation in your own strength. You need to surrender, submit to the Holy Spirit that he may apply these truths to your life. Submit and surrender so you will be truly free. We need to look to Jesus today because there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Father God, thank you for your word and for your promise. That through the sweet salvation that you have secured by your blood, you have drawn the people unto yourself. So Father, we do thank you. We do ask that you would be with us the rest of this day and that the one who is far from you, you would draw near that the one who is in sin would repent and turn and that you would be glorified by their life. We ask that you would help us, Holy Spirit, today. For your glory and name's sake, we do pray. Amen. Beloved, how will you respond to Jesus today?